Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pendulum Show. My name is Yodin and I got my co-host as usual, Bamba and Teva with me. And today is actually a really special episode for us. This is our 30th swing, the Big 3-0. <laughs> I think we have 36 episodes in total, but I think this is the main 30th swing where we talk about essentially big issues that are happening in relation to a Malaysian context and mm-hmm. to the Malaysian people, right? Yeah. Our main swings are our main titles. So today, we're going to be talking about the COVID-19 vaccines in Malaysia in regards to many different aspects, but Bamba as the IQ of the show. Please <laughs> break it down in more digestible forms first, please. Well, at least today I probably won't be the IQ of the show. We have our resident medical expert. Oh, Jesus, please don't do <laughs> that. Deva Sharma here with us. But yeah, what we're going to be talking about is basically what can be achieved with the vaccine and as well as the different types of vaccines which are being developed. We want to get a little bit into the COVAX plan by the WHO, which I'm sure you've heard about, which is to distribute the vaccines to the countries which need it and can't afford it. And we want to talk about how who we are vaccinating here in Malaysia. Mm. What's the schedule like? Who gets the vaccination first? Mm-hmm. And where are we getting our vaccines from? <sighs> we'll get a little bit into the actual dangers of the vaccines, mm-hmm. which, you know, some of them have not made it all the way through uh, phase three trials. Mm. And yeah, we're going to close off with why is it that the vaccine production is so concentrated in these few major companies mm. and how long is it actually going to take to vaccinate the whole population? Mm. Mm. Okay. Let's get started. So, Teva. Teva. Teva the expert? Yes. <laughs> no, Jesus. What are we trying to achieve with the vaccine? Are we trying to vaccinate 100% of the population or is there some percentage that we can hope mm. to vaccinate and we can say job, job well done and mission accomplished? Job well done, mission accomplished. Wow. <laughs> Bamba's mission statement. La. <laughs> no. Um, well, I mean, to vaccinate 100% of the population, I think is uh, insanity. La, day. That's number one. La. Mm. Uh, what we're trying to achieve right now is herd immunity. I mean, the term that's always thrown around, right? Herd immunity. Mm. So let me tell you what, is it, what, what herd immunity is first. La. Mm. So... Um, Herd immunity is actually based on the reproductive rate of a virus. Mm. Okay? I'll give you an example of measles. Um, the reproductive rate of our measles is, is counted like this. So one person is able to and affect about four to five people mm. from one person, from one itis, four to five people are affected. The reproductive rate, according to experts right now for the coronavirus, is one person affecting two or three people only. So herd immunity is achieved when the amount that is propagated by the virus becomes negligible because we vaccinate... Sev- I mean, right now, it's 70% of the po- of the population needs to be um, vaccinated to um, come out with her- with some sort of her- herd immunity, la, mm. right? In this sense, yeah, la, we need to vaccinate about 70 to 75% of the entire population to achieve some sort of herd immunity. There's two ways you can achieve herd immunity. One is through uh, broad infection, and the other way is through vaccinations, la. But like what you yeah. said just now, right? To affect for hundred percent of the people to get vaccinated is insane. One way you can achieve herd immunity like that is to get a hundred percent of the population to have the virus. Uh, you see like, how many people that'll kill her. So, so if everybody a, has the virus. If everybody were to have the virus, then yeah, can bro, hundred percent. Yeah. But uh, by the time by the time hundred hundred percent of the population gets the virus, we I think we will look at what what's the what what is how many people is it killing. Tens, tens of millions of people will die before that happens. Yeah, so globally. Globally, mm, right. yeah. So right now, uh, through vaccination, if we do, if we were to vaccinate seventy percent, we we can achieve some form of herd immunity. Yeah. Okay, but let's say we vaccinate vulnerable populations first. Yeah. So the elderly, those yeah. with comorbidities, pre-existing yeah. conditions. So these are the guys who are actually at risk of death. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Young people, especially, the fatality rate is is yeah. is close to the common flu, right? For yeah. for young healthy people. Yeah. So if we are able to to immunize yeah. the vulnerable population, yeah. What percentage are we looking at if we if we try to do that first? If we were to immunize just the um the the vulnerable, vulnerable groups. the elderly, right? Um. What what we be looking at like what sort what like what kind of percentage of the population is that who have this 
pre-existing conditions. Oh, morbidities, uh, bro. Hui. Tough question, lah. <laughs> this one, I do, I honestly do not know what the percentage of people in in Malaysia at least has comorbidities. But um, I don't think um just vaccinating the vulnerable groups mm. is going to be enough to bring us to the point where the virus is ineffective in our community, lah. You know, in effect, anyway. Also, even if we were to Um, let's say I take that model again. Hundred percent of the people gets infected, right? Mm. Right. I I told you that tens of millions of people will die. Yeah. Right. Just based on that factor itself, you you're looking at about a hundred, two hundred millions of people would mm. be would be severely affected by the disease by the disease, not right. death. Yeah. But severely severely affected. So it's not only the vulnerable groups that we need to protect. In any case, we at this point we need to protect most adults at least. Right. Most adults. Okay. I mean, you all know that these vaccines have not been tested on children, so we do not know what the effects are on children. But right now, as what as with all the information as it stands, we we need to uh, we need to vaccinate at least most adults. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're trying to achieve herd immunity. Mm. We do need to vaccinate about seventy to seventy five percent of the population to achieve herd immu- immunity. Mm-hmm. But for example in the states right mm. i'm not sure what the numbers are right now mm. in terms of reported cases i believe it's like more than 5 million easily more than 5 million or mm-hmm. 6 million and those are just the reported cases right mm-hmm. so easily in the wild 3 4 5 some people are even saying 10 times as many have yeah. been infected yeah. so you do have a huge a sizable proportion of the population which already is immunized because they caught the virus yeah. and got over it right yeah. so that reduces the the population that you actually need vaccinate. to vaccinate yeah. by quite a lot yeah. but does that make much of a difference considering we don't actually know who has it and who doesn't yeah and, and mm-hmm. also uh, on top of that fact um, we've seen we've seen multiple cases of people getting it twice three times irregardless mm. of it of them getting it once and being immunized yeah i mean mm. so in that sense uh, based on that we still need to vaccinate everybody Right. Right. Regardless of whether they've got it or not, oh, correct or not. I see. I mean, but we would deprioritize as we would deprioritize them. That's that's for sure. Yeah. But in a sense, um, what I'm trying to get at is that um, even if you were to take these numbers and say, "Oh, these people have already got the virus before," that wouldn't prevent a second infection. That yeah. wouldn't. That also wouldn't prevent the second infection being vastly more severe than the first time. Okay. Right. Mm. Yeah. We don't have data for that. Mm. To okay. draw conclusions like that yet, okay. right? So that's why herd immunity is yeah. very pivotal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we know what we're trying to achieve. What are the vaccines out there that are being developed? So we've all heard about the Pfizer vaccine. Mm. P Pfizer, yeah. P Pfizer. P Pfizer. Are you sure it's pronounced P Pfizer? Sure. I don't know, bro. I'm just saying. Yo, oh, uh, medical expert. Uh, <laughs> we need a new one. <laughs> P Pfizer. P Pfizer. The other one is. Moderna. Some Astro projection something lah, bro. AstraZeneca. <laughs> <laughs> Mama, what's happening lah? <laughs> you are really <laughs> setting a very high reputation for yourself here, Teva. I know. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the one the 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 vaccine that's I mean most talked about is the Pfizer vaccine. Um, that one was based on obviously uh, most vaccines that are in talks right now. All the third phase clinical trial vaccines which are mm. i mean moderna you have pfizer you have astrazeneca and then you have the china ones and uh, the and the sinopharm as mm-hmm. well as sputnik 5 from mm. russia right right uh, the ones that is the in malaysia especially um, what we've known until now is the pfizer one which mm. is supposed to give us what i, I forgot the number of 12.8 million um, vaccine vaccination doses right mm. okay yeah so pfizer based on their Um, clinical trials they they use what 144,000 people uh. I, I think it's 44,000 people 44, right yeah 44,000 people and then out of that uh, they got a 90% effective rate right yeah yeah um i mean saying that yeah 90% effective rate but um you see one thing one thing that people always overlook uh, in this virus and not and i'm not trying to say that i'm not trying to um, downplay the effectiveness of a, of a vaccine lah mm. but at the same time if you look at the clinical trials right mm, mm, mm. Uh, another thing that's very pivotal in uh, in uh, the production of a virus is the um, vaccine the, sorry the, the vaccine itself is the no conspiracy theories here teva <laughs> <laughs> wait like my full thought <laughs> the what's one thing is pivotal in um, before producing a vaccine mm. is um, to look at the adverse 
vaccine reactions, mm. right? Okay, so from this trial in itself, I when I looked at the numbers, I think like fifty five percent of people experienced a fever. There was also a certain group of people who experienced Bell's palsy. I don't know whether you've heard of Bell's palsy or not. No, no. Yeah, it's Please a lightness. It's a god. It's a third nerve um, impingement sort of thing, where it affects. Um, your eyesight a bit. Okay. A small. Uh, it's it's it um, it's temporary. It's transitional. Still something that you need to take into consideration. Uh, not only fever, you have fatigue. The general ones are normal. La. It's a small price to pay. Like, yeah, yeah, for, for sure, for sure, for sure. But you see, um, in this case, right, we've yeah. already fast tracked this entire process. Mm. You know, so I would I would look at these adverse drug reactions as far more um important compared to. If I were to put it through such a long, rigorous process, mm. yeah. and were to come up with um, adverse reactions at the end, mm. yeah. fine. But this is a fast track process. Okay, I mean I'm not going to get get into that so much, lah. Okay, that's just something that I mean people should know, right? Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so Pfizer twelve point eight um, million vaccines, uh, rolled out by the end of twenty twenty one. Pfizer. This uh, is for Malaysia. Specifically. For Malaysia specifically, yeah. Um, I don't know numbers for with the worldwide one day, and then uh, so it's an mRNA vac- vaccine. Mm. Uh, do you all want? Yes, please yes. get it's, into that. So, what uh, is an mRNA it's vaccine? It's different from traditional vaccines. It's right? different from traditional vaccines. Okay, so mRNA vaccines. mRNA is a messenger RNA. Mm. Okay, it's a messenger protein mm. that. So um, regularly, on normal vi- on normal vaccines, you you give a live attenuated, so a live vaccine or a dead vaccine la, like a uh, unactivated vaccine virus virus virus, virus. 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 <laughs> so uh, so um when this is different in the sense where it when you give when you get the shot they only give you the mrna um code itself yeah. so it's a code for the protein mm-hmm. so when it when it's injected into your system the mrna is it only has a certain amount of critical protein that is yeah. on the code itself that would produce a re- uh, would that would produce like antibodies yeah. would produce antibodies right um so that if you were to get infected by the the covid-19 virus your body is well prepared to deal with that problem yeah right because yeah. it it knows what kind of coding that uh is needed when this happens that sort of thing yeah. compared to um before we had um life attenuated vaccines uh inactivated vaccines those are full viruses mm. full viruses mm. which would mount a greater uh, response at the start the, mm. it would mount a greater um, immunological response at the start compared to this this wouldn't give you a full blown immunological response because it's just the critical proteins and it will produce the antibodies in itself already these mm. antibodies are will be will be readily available when you get infected with the covid-19 virus okay so then um one of the real pros of developing an mRNA virus compared to your traditional mm, um, in a sense okay so uh, as you all know like this is the first time we've done it yeah um, like what Bamba was mentioning before this it's like it was it used it was mostly it was largely theoretical before this right mm. and but this but I think uh, with the with the pandemic it kind of speed tracked that process mm. a lot more because um, the first time they actually um uh, what do you call it? The first time they actually singled out this mRNA code from the from the virus itself was in January, mm. and to get to the point of now we are already able to produce the vaccine itself, the process has been um, fast tracked a lot, mm. right? Um, um, based on, based on the immunological model itself, mm. right? I would say like these mRNA uh, vaccines would give you um, less side effects at the start, uh, less adverse side side adverse reactions towards the vaccine itself because most um, vaccines like let's say you take the hepatitis B vaccine the first time you get it on your shoulder most people experience like um, shoulder pain almost mm, immediately mm, because mm, mm. the amount of edema that uh, um, that produces in the shoulder itself mm. from the from the vaccine itself is a lot la. you get a lot of uh, adverse reactions because as I said before like it, this is just the code of the of the the critical code of the of the genome of the mm. virus. Mm, mm. It's not the entire virus in itself. Yeah. So you wouldn't mount a full uh, immunological response. Yeah. So yeah. you get um, less uh, adverse reactions. I mean, yeah, that's about it. Like, I don't think I there's see, anything. Is that and it's also easier. 
it's also easier to just take the code of yeah. a virus compared to inactivating or, or, or you know, to, to just single out just the entire virus itself. It's easier to take the code and produce, mass produce. Mm. So that's why it's been developed a developed lot faster a lot than faster. traditional vaccines. Yes. Okay. Does that actually have in any way impacted the way that it's going to be distributed? Mm. Is that... I'm, I'm not too sure in how other vaccines are distributed mm. and transported across other countries. But is it because it's an mRNA virus? I, I can't tell you exactly why... Uh, exactly because it's the because it's the mm. mRNA virus. But of course, with this, you all know like there's a lot of restrictions, right? With Pfizer, mm. the negative 70 things... I mean, Bamba, you can go into that. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, apparently the Pfizer vaccine in particular has to be transported at negative 70 degrees Celsius. Mm. Otherwise, the mRNA will break down. Mm. Yeah, so the I, I've seen a diagram of how it's being transported. They, they basically have these well-insulated uh, boxes mm. with, with trays of the vaccine vials in each box. Will will have about five thousand doses of the vaccine yeah. in the vial. So five thousand mm. doses means enough to uh, vaccinate two thousand five hundred people, right? Yeah. Mm. Because yeah, that's what we should get into, which is the fact that you need two. Yeah, you need two doses, doses. of yeah. the vaccine. So like to keep it at these temperatures, they need dry ice. Yeah. Uh, dry ice is probably like the only thing which can maintain that kind of temperature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also like that places certain restrictions on the transport because the dry ice also sublimates like point, like depending on the size of the box, mm. uh, say you have like a one kg slab and mm. it will sublimate like 0.1 kg every day. Yeah. So you do need to keep on like replenishing yeah. depending mm -hmm. how far you have to transport. Yeah. But these, these things will only come into consideration when you're talking about remote access places lah. Right. Yeah. Most places like uh the the Farmanaga article I was reading just now it said that um it was direct, so at a at a vaccination facility yeah. the amount of people at that point will be delivered directly from the freeze the freezing units in yeah. these big uh multinational mm -hmm. companies mm -hmm. like, you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. But I mean, like even for like transport over, I don't know by air or by yeah. sea or whatever, you still need to have that's true. That's true. Yeah. The like either dry ice or like special uh containers mm. which can maintain like these sub zero yeah. temperatures, right? And yeah. of course, like it has to be at that temperature all the time. Yeah. So if it breaches that temperature level, yeah, then you have no certainty whether the the vaccine is still effective or not, yeah. right? Mm. So yeah, yeah, I mean that, to that the degree. I just want to make yeah. that a a point like it's to the degree yeah. okay any variation to the degree so it cannot be colder cannot even be colder bro cannot cannot wow that's okay. how i mean generally in our bodily systems as well mm -hmm. it's to the degree that's true. right every right. degree true. is different yeah we need to maintain 37 mm. so and the same goes for these mrna yep. vaccines mm. and so like even the supply of dry ice mm. there are not a lot of producers of dry ice like even in malaysia so there are only mm. i think like two companies which are producing it uh, as of now and yeah and you have to wonder malaysia is an upper middle income country mm -hmm. so like in the developing Fact. world how effective is this uh, how how feasible is it yeah. for the vaccine to be distributed in in you know in the third world how feasible, huh? Uh, or even here, think of places like Sabah where already we have so much difficulty yeah. getting medical personnel, medical facilities into the interior. Mm. Infrastructure is, is limited. And even, I mean, surely you can foresee like in Sabah, yeah. it would be difficult to distribute the yeah. vaccine, right? I would imagine like they would bring people out, you know. But I mean, doesn't bring that create certain risk in itself? Sabah. Ile, uh, bring, pe bring people to <laughs> bring urban people, areas. Uh, bring people to urban areas to vaccinate them. Okay. Right? <laughs> but doesn't that open a whole other can of worms? Like, you know, you have this mass exercise to transport people yeah. out. And yeah. then, like, what if they get infected along the way? Like, mass mm. congregations of people. And then, by I mean, by the time they get the vaccine, it's too late, right? Yeah. If you're infected already. That's true. So I mean, these, these are logistical problems. Like, bro. I, I honestly don't... Like, like good questions like I really don't know how are they going to get it to these places in Sabah and Sarawak I really don't know mm. yeah and is it safe to, is it fair to say that the government here also hasn't really given us a plan on how it's going to get these particular types of vaccines which have very restrictive conditions mm. on the storage and transport has not really explained how it's going to get them into the interior yeah I, uh, there's no talk of anything I mean one of it is Pfizer la, then you have the okay so 
give you a bit more context. So 20% of our population is supposed to be covered by Pfizer. Okay. The Pfizer vaccines. Mm. Uh, another 10% is under the COVAX initiative. Mm. The COVAX initiative uh, vaccines, I mean, I, we, don't, we don't know what are the vaccines they're using. Lah. Yeah. And we then for... Yeah. Is COVAX real? Yeah. Eh? <laughs> conspiracy I'm theories, the conspiracy then. theories yes <laughs> yeah. so then the other 40% of the 70% of people that we need to vaccinate uh, the other 40% is a toss up between uh, Sinopharm and um, Sputnik 5 alright so Sinopharm and Sputnik 5 are these traditional vaccines then I have no idea really I have no idea do you know I, I have no idea I have no idea I only know um, I, I know that Moderna and Pfizer is mRNA vaccines. Okay. Mm. Cool, cool. But so, which have made it out of the phase two trials? Like, I know that Pfizer has, Moderna has Moderna as well. Has, AstraZeneca has. AstraZeneca has as well. Yes. And AstraZeneca, I believe, is, is not an mRNA vaccine, right? It's not it a? It's a traditional vaccine. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, how how uh, good is the data on all of these? So, on the Ooh, Pfizer, good on, on Pfizer, like, yes, we have the 44,000 people in the trial mm. uh, and similar numbers I believe for Moderna mm. and AstraZeneca but I, I was reading that AstraZeneca in particular mm. they accidentally gave a, a select group only one and a half doses of the vaccine accidentally yeah, mm. yeah it was a, there's a lot of conflicting stories some say it was planned but the company has said that it was uh, not, not by design uh. and they discovered that those who got this one and a half doses had much higher uh, effective rate oh, than, really? than the mm. than the regular population which got the two doses. That's so, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about how this whole process has been fast-tracked, right? Mm. Like, Britain has already approved and given the first yep. vaccinations in mm. the past couple of days. 90-year-old woman, right? Think the first one. Margaret yeah. some more. Mm. Wow. Exactly. Big up Margaret. Yeah, I mean, uh, even with even with the Pfizer trials, like um, they said that uh, even from the first dose, yeah. they already saw like quite a, quite good effectiveness, e- effective um, rates already. Yes, I mean they mm-hmm. they 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 are also studying like whether this they are also studying um ideas of how whether maybe they should only give one dose, and okay. the second dose not be given at all. But right, but right now as as it stands, mm. it's a routine of one dose. Three weeks later, the second dose. Right, mm. right. The Pfizer vaccine. The I'm, Pfizer vaccine. I'm still trying to figure out though with the different vaccines and the different mm. efficacy rates, right? What are the chances? Uh, what? How does it impact the probability of herd immunity, or the rate of effectiveness of the mm, vaccine yeah. across so, different uh, populations, right? If they receive yes. different vaccines. Correct. So I mean, obviously, then we if um based on what numbers we have right now, right? Mm. Let's say if it's a uh, Pfizer, right? Ninety mm. percent. Is what is um said, right? Mm. We probably need to vaccinate more people, la. right? Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not just seventy percent of the population, maybe more. Mm. All right. Needs to and uh, needs to get the vaccine mm. for it to be ninety percent. For it to be hundred percent, you understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay, so then we're done with that. So maybe we should get into what is Covax, right? Since we're getting ten percent of the vaccine from mm. the Covax right. deal that the, our government has made. Hmm. And they've actually made an upfront payment in this, right? But let's go into what COVAX is, actually. Yeah. So, Teva, why don't you preface? Okay, so COVAX is a global initiative that has been brought about to give um, equal access to hmm. high-income countries as well as low-income countries hmm. um, access to these vaccines, lah, right? So, right now, um, obviously, because it's a global initiative, you have... Um, right now, they've, they've procured about nine different types of vaccines okay. that will be available to the to the to the to the masses lah, right mm. um what's the, what the initiative is supposed to uh, the goals of the initiative is to vaccinate 10% of the world population okay um so on that like um yeah lah, so they're doing that lah, they. what else you want to do all right will it be like on roulette or do you think like no i mean they have a they have a very uh, specific guideline on how on mm. how it will be distributed to which yeah so uh, countries um, i mean the, uh, to what countries are what so, countries to receive which vaccine though yeah so i ah. think that there's two that types. is the roulette i'm talking yeah. about yeah mm. so so basically what these countries do is they pay some upfront fee 
based yeah. on the population size mm. and and therefore they are guaranteed to get the doses that they need mm. uh, on an equal basis with other countries and there's two types of of deals you can make one is a committed purchase where you are committed to basically taking whatever vaccine is is provided through covax plan and then there's also optional purchase where you can opt out of any particular vaccine mm. so uh, i would i would suppose that that poorer or lower income countries will go with the committed plan because they have a lower cost per dose mm. uh, and uh, higher income countries like us maybe may go for the optional mm. uh, optional purchase where you can opt out say you don't trust the numbers for the astrazeneca mm. vaccine or the chinese produced vaccine Uh, nothing against China or Chinese vaccines, but they did produce the virus in the first place. So, <laughs> <laughs> fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that. Uh, but again, it's not really going to cover the vast majority of the vaccinations that we need to carry yep. out, right? Okay. So even in Malaysia, only ten percent. We are, that's what we are targeting to get ten percent of our vaccination yeah. doses from Covax plan. Mm. The other concern is that. The United States has not signed up for Covax, mm. so the fact that the United States has not signed up for Covax, and there are concerns. For example, this week Donald Trump signed an order such that the vaccines manufactured in the states must be used to vaccinate the American population first mm. before mm. being distributed to the rest of the world. So uh, companies like Pfizer, based in the states, uh, other countries like Moderna as well, I believe, yeah. is an American company. Mm-hmm. Uh, So we don't really know how effective the Covax plan will be, right? Mm. Yeah. So that is a a major concern, which is why, especially our government has made a lot of uh, nego- uh has made a lot of approaches directly to the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. To to guarantee our our doses separate. Yeah. Uh, from this plan. Yeah. Uh, another thing you 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 see happening is vaccine diplomacy, especially from the part of China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So China is actually not producing enough. Doses even by the end of next year, I believe they can only produce uh 300 million doses from Sinopharm mm. or Sinovac. I I forget which one, but basically not enough uh to to properly vaccinate their own population. But they are or they are distributing these vaccines, these vaccines, to developing countries anyway straight away. Mm. Yes, like Indonesia, Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia got a million doses. Mm. Uh, just this week, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of these countries are fast tracking. The vac- their vaccination programs, even though the Chinese vaccines have not finished their phase three trials. Yes. So mm. phase three is when you do the mass testing, mm-hmm. right, yeah. across tens of thousands of of people mm-hmm. in your sample size. Yep. And that's where you also discover not just the real effective rate, but also the side effects. The side effects, yeah. right, across a broad yeah. swath of the population. Yeah. And uh, there there was a case during the testing of the one of the Chinese vaccines. In Brazil, where a participant died, I believe, and they had to pause the trial. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so there are concerns there, right? Yeah, and like you said, like everybody's going to be getting a different vaccine from a different source, and like what this, what kind of differences this will have in terms of the in terms of herd immunity, how many we need to vaccinate in order to achieve herd immunity, it's it's really up in the air, right? Yeah, there's there's not much modeling you can do. Yeah. Uh, on the on the mix of vaccines, yeah. considering that the data for each trial is of differing quality, yeah, yeah, and also you have the uh, other countries like like Russia, for example. Uh, what what is their vaccine Sputnik called? Sputnik Five. Ah, Sputnik Five. Mm-hmm. You always know a vaccine is <laughs> is good to go when you name it after a spacecraft, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> like basically the entire yeah, vaccine naming strategy is a marketing ploy. <laughs> I yeah. Yeah, but So fun fact Moderna. Yeah. Uh is actually a company that has never produced any uh, single product that has been released to the market. Not one, ph- not one pharmaceutical product. Not one. They are relatively an unknown in the biotech and pharmaceutical mm. arena. Right. So given that they are basically the second vaccine to pass through clinical trials. Mm. And they'll probably be the second one to Pfizer as a favorable option alternative. Is that does that any pose any threat, any alarm to you, any level of skepticism maybe? Yeah, man. I think that. Would you rather trust that or still or what's the difference between that and a potential vaccine from China? That's true. Yeah, I mean, at least in that case, they have finished the phase three trial, right? Mm. Before they distribute it. That's mm. true. Yeah. 
And uh, there's, there's a risk, right, that countries are going to rush to vaccinate. Like Russia, the Sputnik vaccine, I think, had been tested on 70 people. And they gave it emergency authorization and they started vaccinating like their military personnel and frontline staff and Putin's daughter. People? Yeah, yeah. 70 people. Yeah, at the initial stage when they announced that they have an evac- effective vaccine, yeah. it had been tested on 70 people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh. yeah. Uh, so now, I believe Sputnik, they claim to have finished the phase three trials and they say that there's Eight a nine. People. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it goes back to the quality of the data. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it, it is a, a concern, right? Oh, wait. There's so many things to take into consideration at this point. Like, I feel like, um, you know, everything is on fast, on fast track, mm. right? Even if you were to bring it to Malaysia, right? Mm. Yeah. We have the NPRA, the National Pharmaceutical Regulatory Agency, mm. who is supposed to sign off on these vaccines. And mm. these vaccines are given priority lane access, yeah. right? Mm. Mm. Which would require them to be um, approved in 120 days. Approved or not approved in 120 days. Mm. Okay? And uh, can you imagine what can you do in 120 days day? Honestly. Mm. Really? It, it's, at this point, I feel like... Um, the vaccines are important, but at the same time, right, if these trials are not rigorous enough, uh, I mean, we already have anti-vax problems already, as it is, you know, mm. you know, with, with so many vaccines that have already been tried, trusted, tested and proven for generations, mm. and we still have anti-vaxxers. What would this bring about, you know, honestly? There's so much of skepticism, la, but... Yeah, we, we did want to get into that a bit later on, in terms of whether the vaccine should be mandatory or not, what kind of ethical implications uh, that will give. Okay, so I think that's a good segue into us going to a very short break. And when we get back, we're going to get right into the thick of it again. But before that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back! <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to our quick word from our sponsors. And now we're going to get right back into it. So Bamba, why don't you start? Alright. So I want to talk a little bit about whether the vaccinations should be mandatory or not. Because obviously that has certain ethical implications, right? Mm. On the one hand, like we have a public health imperative to vaccinate as many people as quickly as possible so we can get to herd immunity, we can get rid of these restrictions, CMCO. On the other hand, there are some connotations with forcing people to take injections. Hmm. So I'd like to get your take on that, Teva. Wow. Cool. Yeah. um, You see, um, normally, in any other case, like with the national immunization schedule, for instance, um, I would say it should be policy. But right now, with um, just phase three clinical trial vaccines being mandatory, I feel like that is a bit of a push. I mean, um, uh, knowing that, you know, there's a pandemic going about and we need to um, protect our people as much as we can. At the same time, I don't think it can be an imperative to make everybody take the vaccination just just purely based on just clinical trials itself not being complete. But don't you think they have a lot to lose by not? Because, for example, the mm. government can say mm. if an X amount of X percentage of the population does, doesn't take the vaccine, then we can't return to normal. Mm. Right? What if they turn around and say that? Yeah. I mean, I mean the emotional blackmail... In a way. That's unethical. Uh. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, you ask me on an ethical basis? No! Yeah, I no, mean, no, no. what you're referring... It's a bit of a tragedy of the commons kind of situation. Whoa, where, whoa, whoa. like, yes, even if you say to everybody... But, but yeah, first, you have if, to explain if, what is a tragedy of the commons. Ah, uh, to the not-so-common people <laughs> like us. We all... I don't understand, man. It's, like probably, it's, pro- it's probably a very bad uh, situation to apply this to, but basically a tragedy of the commons that me- refers to the things that we hold in common, like the air, the water, oh. and so on. Okay. And individuals have uh, not much of an, an, incent- uh, an incentive mm. to protect these resources, right? Yeah. 
And so if you do not have controls on the commons, then the the theory, the, the theory is basically that pe- people will misuse them, mm. uh, degrade the quality of, of them and, and mm. so on. So, I mean, you can think of our public health in the same context, la, mm, like mm. our the risk of, of being infected. Yeah. That that's a that's a a, a a public thing, right? Yeah. A, a thing of the commons, right? Yeah. And if you just if you just say to people like, oh, okay, if if you if the population not enough of you are getting vaccinated, we are not going to get rid of these restrictions. Mm. At the individual level, does that create enough of in, in, an incentive for people to vaccinate themselves? For example, I'm a young, healthy person. Uh, I know that even if I get the the virus. I very likely am not going to to suffer too much from it. Mm. Uh, my risk of death is is minimal. It's comparable to the flu and other things. Mm. The reason that the government wants me to take the vaccine is so that I don't pass on this infection to other people who may be vulnerable. Mm. Yes. Yeah. For a lot of people, that may not be enough of an incentive mm. to to get them to take the vaccine, and and that's the the main argument I think in favor of making it compulsory. Mm. And honestly, usually I would say you c- shouldn't make vaccinations compulsory, uh, just just because if if I can make you take this injection, I can make you take other injections as, as well, right? Mm. And uh, historically, you know, you, you see, you look at in, especially in developing countries where you've had forced sterilizations and mm. uh, forced abortions, all these kinds of medical procedures where the the person on the receiving end did not have agency, did not have the will to the the free will to object to them. Uh, I wouldn't want to open the door yeah. to more of that in future. But in this specific case where there is like an overriding public good, where there is an overriding public danger for if people aren't taking the vaccines, yeah. if the government has sufficient confidence mm. verified by the scientific community that this vaccination or rather the risks of the vaccination are less than the risk to the population of of COVID spreading and as you say, you know, infecting hundred percent of the population, I would say that it there's a very strong case to be made for making it compulsory. You know, if you look at things like the measles vaccination, mm. mumps mm-hmm. and measles, these kinds of things, uh, especially like diseases which affect children, especially, uh, you can set certain kinds of rules. Like, okay, if your child does not take this vaccine, he cannot uh, come into the public schooling system. Yeah, right. I think that is a fair restriction. So you still have the option, but there are certain implications. You you can't have your cake and eat it, basically. Yeah. But with the COVID vaccine, it's very hard for you to say to to people like, oh, if you don't get the vaccine, you can't come out in public. You can't control that, right? Mm. You can't control that. Mm. And and so in that case, I, I, I see that there is a need to, to have some kind of compulsory... Uh, vaccination programs Be- because the fact is you have like these three vaccinations they have been approved by the FDA the American uh, authorities European authorities who who I mean even if we don't trust our own authorities to certify these vaccines for general use uh, generally you can trust uh, other, other bodies right mm. which yeah. have a longer track record so yeah I, I, I do think that we we do need to have some sort of uh, compulsory vaccination program but mm. going to what you said if you are if you are including in in these vaccination programs things like the Sinopharm vaccine or Sputnik 5 you know where the clinical trials are not being completed yeah mm. and yet it's being produced and distributed mm. yeah and if if you are including these vaccines in that program yeah i think it would be fair to, for for people to say hey i i don't want you to I think that's force fair, me la. i think that's fair. Uh, the individual should have mate. the right yeah. to choose what vaccine at least in that at the most extreme case what mm. vaccine that they receive okay uh, okay I, I understand that argument fine but let's let's say la, we take it in the malaysian context la, right um um pfizer 12.8 million yeah right that's not going to cover that's only 10 20% of the population mate the a big chunk, the forty percent is between Sinopharm and Sputnik Five, you know. So you tell me, what is our vaccine breakdown actually at the moment? So twenty percent Pfizer, ten percent from Co Co the Covax yeah. um facility, which could which be- could include literally the nine. I, I I don't know exactly what the nine are, but I know for a fact in that nine is one of its the Pfizer one lah, mm. right? Because right now the best one we have is Pfizer lah. You can say, mm. can we can we come to that? I, yeah. Based on the data, based we on have, the data, yes. right? Okay, yep. um then. From that 40% of the 
the seventy percent that we need to vaccinate is going to come from a, I told you a toss up between Sinopharm, Sputnik Five, and everybody else. Right. And like what you said just now, scientific scientific confidence, it's not there, man. So I don't think you can at this point, at this juncture, make um say that it should be policy, lah. Right. Right. I, right. Mm. Forty percent of the population know there's a lot. I don't know. I'm a bit on the fence on this because I suppose there's also like. Uh, selfishly I want things to go back to normal so that I can have yeah, my, yes. live of my course, normal life sure. and so when you when you put this in front of me even though the data is not uh, as of high quality as it is with other vaccines yeah obviously you 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 feel like you want this out there as fast as possible right yeah, yeah but the what, same what you way, say yeah, yeah the same the, literally the statement you just made could be the exact same thing CDC is thinking hmm Right, yeah. I mean, it, mm. it 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 seems great. It seems fine, mm. but in a sense, you want things to go back to normal, so you would push. Right, and, right, and like you see some disagreement. Even, for example, like Britain gave authorization for the Pfizer vaccine, yes. even before the United States yeah. did, and uh, Dr. Fauci, right, yeah. the, the who has been running the whole COVID strategy in the States, he, he went on an interview and, and basically cast doubt on, on Britain's process. Yeah. Yeah, that they had rushed to, to get it out there. Yeah. And um, even the EU did the same thing. Yeah, uh, Pfizer same thing. broke deals with so many countries before even the phase three yeah. clinical trials were out. Yeah, and, yeah, and so you wonder like whether there's like, as you say, political imperative, uh, political motives mm. to, to get the vaccine out as fast as possible because obviously it's a big win for any government to, to get vaccination going as soon as possible right yeah, yeah la, but I mean I am still also trying to reconcile with how do you make it compulsory or mandatory la. like we, we don't have an exact blueprint mm. on how the government plans to distribute it and localize the distribution mm. here anyway yeah but if right now we can hold targeted EMCOs mm. targeted movement restriction orders then, for example, could it be down to even municipalities, right, that monitor the rate, the vaccination rates in each location? And I don't know, I, it's very draconian way to look at it, but I feel like the pressure not only comes from the government, but also socially, right? Like, for example, there should be social pressure put on those who refuse to take the vaccine. But also, again, I'm coming from a point of view like Bamba, that I would want to return to normalcy as soon as possible. Mm. So to hold other people accountable and take responsibility for them and for others, mm. uh, but also, you know, there's a possibility where, yes, some, for example, someone next to me could receive a different vaccine compared to me. Yeah. That is something that I think we have to address. Mm. If we, I foresee, we could go into a situation where we, if 20% is only Pfizer, right? And, for example, if people refuse to take the other vaccines, the hmm. 60% or so, right? 40%. 40% of the non-Pfizer vaccines. Could we have been in a situation where it has to take years and years for the government to get, to continue this private uh, direct deals with mm, Pfizer? With Pfizer. Until, yeah. it, until we probably reach the, our level of intended herd immunity. Mm. I mean, unless, uh, until and unless like people like um, Russia and China can produce good enough clinical trials with you know a large quantity of people mm. then fine maybe maybe if maybe if another country like well, maybe the U- the CDC approves something else yeah yeah maybe you can look into um, you know making it mandatory but at this point I don't know until you have higher quality data can other companies continue their phase 3 t- clinical trials until they reach the same level of efficacy but mm. like you said um the third, the there are vaccines which actually do not use the mRNA, mRNA mm. um, delivery method. Right? Yeah. So, f- even then, uh, if they reach the same level of efficacy rate mm. with a different kind of vaccine, yeah. which is the traditional format, yeah. inser- inserting a dead virus, yeah. um, could that be, in a way, comforting for someone? Even though it's a different method, but could yeah. you argue? Definitely, efficacy rate uh, is more than enough. But um maybe something they can look at is um push it into phase four la. Right. Push ah. the vi- push the trials to phase four. Yeah. The ones that you vaccinated already, use them in your phase four trials. Mm. Monitor them, see the adverse side ref- uh, the the adverse reactions that they, they may they may or may not get. 
from that that in itself will build confidence for other people to go and take the will vaccine. Will Pfizer also go into phase four? Of course, of course. All of them have to go into phase four anyway. Ah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, I mean, with with Pfizer, the ten percent. I said totally twenty percent. Then ten percent from Covax could be Pfizer. Who knows? Okay. Right. Okay. Right. So, uh, well, I I would like to take this into uh, how long it will take. As you didn't mention, right? Like, say we are we are we have optional opt in or opt out mm. or to to take the vaccine or not, or we have choice over which vaccine we mm. want to take. Obviously, this creates like imbalances in terms of what's available and what's not, and so that's going to stretch out the time that it takes to vaccinate yes. the the population effectively to to achieve herd immunity, and I'm just wondering. First of all, how long do you, is that projected to take mm. under the current plans? And at what point will we say that it is safe to ease up on the restrictions that we have? Like, you know, uh, when will it be safe for there to be crowds at sporting events? Mm. When will it be safe for us to go out and about in public without a mask? Mm. Yeah. Mm. What, what are these milestones that we're looking for? So right now, um, you said that okay, earlier you were saying that off, off mic, off the mic, we were, we were talking about who will be receiving the vaccines, right? Mm. In terms of priority of people, mm. but essentially, it'll be adults, mm. right? So the adult population in Malaysia is 21.8 million. Mm. And we'll be receiving 12.8 doses, million, 12.8 million doses by the end of next year. Which would vaccinate 6.5. 6.4. 6.4 million yeah. adults. Mm. So that is about 30% of the adult population. Mm-hmm. If we just maintain that same level of distribution, mm. then technically should be what? For three, three, three and a half years? Yeah, three and a half years. Wow. And are we really... So, yeah, when do we say that, okay, enough for the... For example, we are vaccinating frontliners first, then we are vaccinating the vulnerable the most vulnerable and it just keeps on working down yes. the, the chain, right? So, if we have vaccinated say a 60% of the vulnerable population, the most vulnerable mm. population, the elderly and those with, with mm. uh, comorbidities, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. Can we ease up on some of, of the lifestyle restrictions basically that we have? Mm. Sure, I mean, surely we can ease up on li- some lifestyle restrictions. I don't know about international travel. Right. That one is still a question mark. That's la. a huge risk. Unless oh. you maybe go and travel into countries that have the same vaccination levels as you, as right. our country. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a question mark there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think um, like um, major events yeah. of that sort, I think it's relatively um, safe. La. Uh, but at the same time, again, like you would not achieve herd immunity. And the point of this entire entire exercise is to get herd immunity so that it becomes ineffective in our communities. Right. You will, it will be, I mean, it also depends on whether um, COVID-19 is something that's here to stay or not. That's mm. the other thing that you need to look at, you know. Um, what if COVID-19 just becomes part of our, I mean, something that's like the seasonal flu. Right, right. right? We, we, we don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, there's m- many factors. La, um, but if it does, if it becomes something like, something that happens occurs at a certain period of time of the of the year after this then we probably need a lot more vaccines um we need to look into um localizing ma- uh, manufacturing of these vaccine itself yeah right yeah mm-hmm. and okay so yeah there's actually a good segue into uh, the another thing which we want to talk about which is the the concentration of the manufacturing of these vaccines yes. right in mm. just a few uh, pharmaceutical conglomerates yeah if you look at other drugs, there are generics which are produced in, in Asia, especially mm. for countries which cannot afford yeah. to, to pay these big US pharmaceuticals for for their so-called original uh, versions of, mm. of their drugs. And they can be, the generics can be like just as effective. So is is that possible with vaccines though? And is it possible with these vaccines which mm. are being developed right now for us to produce generic versions of, of them? Mm. Um, to the extent of it being generic versions, I don't know whether we can um, duplicate like that. But of course, our, our companies in Malaysia can join venture with, with these companies which hold the patents. Right. And they can produce the vaccines here. But again, like 
um, whether or not we have the facility or the ability mm. to produce these vaccines here right now is also a question mark. These are new vaccines. These are new types of vaccines. Especially like the, like what do you think? Just now the mRNA vaccine, right? Very brand new, new technology. Yeah. I mean, it's not new technology per se. We have the facility, but to be able to scale it, right? That's a big question mark. We have these facilities in research facilities, in universities as well as in our medical facilities as well. But to be able to scale it to a point where we can produce vaccines, question mark, bro. That one we we don't know. As it is, we don't give enough money to produce good to produce enough facilities right now in our in our currently in our MOH. Yeah. You know, mm. I don't know. We have we have. It will probably it will probably come down to like um private companies. It's like Farmer Niagara, from private Malaysian pharmaceutical companies, to ha- to I mean have these facilities and uh, mass produce the the vaccines. But this will take a very long time. This wasn't uh, made. I'm talking about ten years from now. Like this, lah. Yeah. 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 That so is... clearly we don't have that kind of time. No, no, no. We don't have that kind. Of... I mean, again, it's not that 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 is also another question. As I said before, like um, what if it becomes something that's like the seasonal flu? Mm. At that point, we cannot mm. keep buying from Pfizer, man. Right. Finish. Very true. Yeah. Money. I mean, so uh, this this all suggests right that I I think that from the time this pandemic started, everybody's been waiting for like the magic bullet, which is going to mm. allow life to go back to normal. And just we keep like on thinking 50s. it's just around the corner. Like there was so much excitement also about the vaccines. Every time there's results, it's like oh my goodness! By the end of the year, <laughs> we're going to start vaccinating and and uh, we can live our ordinary lives again, right? But based on the the fact that first of all the the production capacity is limited, that not everybody is going to get vaccinated yeah. even within the whole of twenty twenty one. Yes, and based on the fact that we don't know if this virus can reinfect you like the flu, right? You get the flu every single year. You, you need to get, to get a get flu shot. Yes, and and it could easily be the same with this uh, COVID nineteen. Yes. So what is what is the new normal that we are looking at for the long term? Are we going to continue for, like you say, you know, five years from now, mm. are we still going to be wearing masks? Are we still going to be restricting international travel? Are yeah. we still going to be uh, banning crowds from sporting events? Mm. Uh, are we ever going to go back yeah. to to life as it was in 2019? Yeah. I, 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 but just to, before you get there, I mean, just to add to what you just said just now, right? I mean to see whether these 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 vaccines will be will be needed later on yeah. would heavily depend on the phase four clinical trials, right? To see how long would you be would would the immunity last? Would the immunity last, right? We don't know that for sure, so mm, right? Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to add that lah because it's important. You know, yeah. we need mm. to know how long these immun these things last, just in case you get reinfected again. Then what happens? Mm. You know. Mm. Mm. So yeah, I think it's a it's a bit of a philosophical question, right? Like. How much risk are we willing to yeah. live with, uh, as we as we head into the future, right? Mm. Are we going to be so averse to the small probability, mm. uh, of course, depending on your age group and so many other factors, that we are basically going to be living like like the boy in the bubble, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, with the, CID. Yeah. Basically, we have a whole the the global population has been. Transform into German folks, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know, uh, and we we have to limit our social interactions. Uh, all kinds of effects that that has on mental health, all in the name of uh, protecting ourselves from this uh, virus. Mm. Do we continue like this uh, forever? Do you think that it is worth the cost to our social fabric, to our mental health? Mm. Mm. No, I don't. You don't know whether another pandemic can come along. Yeah. And are we going to react to exactly the same way? I think I will lose my mind. Can our governments actually cope with another pandemic if we were to hit touch wood? If there was another pandemic? Who could have foreseen this, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it is foreseeable in the sense that we live in a very globalized world where people are traveling more than ever before. And as a result of that, uh, a new and novel virus which pops up in in one part of the world quickly spreads to every different part of the world and we have just been having these near misses right yeah. Ebola uh, swine flu yeah. chicken uh, bird flu 
repeatedly we've been having these like near misses and we've been saved by the fact that like for example with Ebola it kills people too fast for it to, mm. to spread too widely in the population mm. or its infectivity is too low mm. compared to COVID you know yep. things like yeah and uh, also the yeah, uh, also the fact that a lot of these viruses so far haven't been as uh, deadly. Like, for example, swine flu. There was a lot of pandemonium about swine flu, right? Swine flu eventually infected, I think, like, more than 2 billion people. Mm. And yet, it was just only as deadly as the regular uh, seasonal flu. So, mm. we have been having these near misses, and now we finally hit the big one. Yeah. And they say it's a once-in-a-hundred-year event. Mm. Well, even if it is you know, a once-in-a-hundred-year event, if we have to restrict our lives for, say, five or six years, that is a big portion of a hundred years. You know? Yes. <laughs> That's a big portion of a chunk taken out of the lives of so many uh, yeah. people in the yeah. lifetime of a human being. Yeah. You have taken out, like, you know, it's, it's getting to three, four, five, six percent of your life, mm. you know, living under these conditions. Mm. Yeah. And very easily, that could be another one. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, from from any source. From any source, yeah. And we surely people have to ask themselves the question, as you already said, like when the next pandemic comes around, are you going to do exactly the same thing? Right? Uh like personally personally I think that people are just too exhausted from this whole experience mm. to want to be agreeable and willing to live under those conditions again. Okay. At least in our lifetime, right? Oh my god! I do not I think. I do not want to go through this yeah. ever again. And I do not think that people of our of our our age, adults who live through this, uh, would be willing to 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 go through this another time. Like any time, yeah. even if you take like fifty years down the road, and this and this happened again. Yeah. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't be willing to no. to live like that again. I okay, I, I, I mean, would just say let it. Let, uh, we have to learn to live with it, right? Yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. I I feel I feel like you can, you you can only make these statements because it's not as deadly, right? Right. Exactly my point. So okay, let me tell. Let's say the next, if let's say, another pandemic hits. Yeah. It's a lot more deadly. Then what happens? Yeah, well, if it's a lot more deadly, that's the thing, right? If it's a lot more deadly, it wouldn't spread to as many people as it has. This what time, makes right? you think? I mean, okay, like Ebola is a good example, right? Okay. Like I Ebola. Mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Ebola is just as probably like more infect infective than uh, COVID, right? Mm. In, in terms of the whatever the R ratio is or whatnot, but yeah. the, but the thing is that people get sick very fast and they die very quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was part of the reason that Ebola did not spread as quickly as mm. uh, COVID has, or as widespread as COVID has, rather. Mm. And uh, probably like a similar situation with SARS also, right? Mm. SARS also was a coronavirus yeah. with same kind of uh, infectivity. Yeah. Uh, it's, pro- it's probable that the next like global pandemic mm. would be something on the scale of COVID, uh, mm. right? Or with the with the same like characteristics as COVID in terms of its effect on the population, like in terms of the fatality rate and so on. If if you look at things like the the Spanish flu is the last great global pandemic, yeah. right? And it it killed more people than died in World War One, mm. but. At the same time, you had the medical facilities of 1918 compared yeah. to 2020, right? And that's a big part of the reason that so many people died. Mm. And so may- maybe our our focus should be on developing like better therapeutics so that when there is another another pandemic, yeah, yeah we're better able to treat the virus rather than yeah. you know, wait for... I also feel like, um, adding to that, Bamba, I feel like also there needs to be proper procedures in hospitals, as well, I mean, in medical facilities at large to... To curb these sort of things from happening, right? You need better testing. Yeah. Okay? And wh- what I mean by better testing is not just taking everybody as just, oh, you just have the flu. Mm. Because in China, that's how it happened, right? Mm. It's just some mm. people mm. Come, coming in with the flu and you're like, oh, just a regular flu. Right? Mm. You don't test the person. You don't do anything. You just send them home. Mm. Pandemic. Can you imagine if you were to do the same thing again? I, mm. I, I don't know. I, I feel like... um. There's a lot to learn from this pandemic being spread at this rate. There is a lot to learn. Like, we, if another pandemic were to be, were, were to hit, I feel like we should be so much more well prepared. You know, so much more well prepared to the point where, I mean, if we've, we've had, we've gone through it before. The thing is, you see, even with Malaysia, right, we've gone through something similar with the Nipah virus, you know. That's why we're so good at handling the virus compared to other nations. But at this point, I feel like, you know, other nations should follow suit. 
they feel I, I feel like most people just think that you know no but oh, our preparedness to deal with the virus is one thing mm. is whether it happens or not is whether would you alter your life mm. to actually to this degree as what we have done right now over the past year mm. right would you if especially if the new pandemic happens that occurs has the same death rate as what we are mm. receiving seeing now is it worth the, the trouble mm. is it worth sacrificing so much mm. to what we have already you know I would like Bambala I just wouldn't do it again okay great we've learned a lot like what you said but ultimately we shouldn't to the best of our ability we can prevent it but if it happens if it's the same or similar to a COVID uh, coronavirus I honestly just think let's just move on our lives la. yeah yeah uh, I think that we have grown used to in the modern world to to basically this idea that we can eliminate all risk yeah in everyday living mm. and the the pandemic shows us that it's not the case that there are a lot of things out of our control and there are a lot of I mean people are dying from a lot of causes this year yeah. you know uh, COVID sure but more people dying from heart disease more people dying from uh, cancer uh, th- I mean these are these are the causes of death which are likely to more uh, are far more likely to afflict you over the course of your lifetime than uh, this virus right and yet we're not taking the same kind of approach to eliminating, like, for example, heart disease, you know, like, you know, massive controls on people's diets, you know, yeah. like controlling the, the kinds of food which gets to consumers. You could do that. I mean, uh, on the same on the same reasoning that, you know, that the so many people are affected, so many people die from heart disease. Yeah. It's also a good enough justification to carry out these measures if, mm. if you took it as seriously as you took uh, COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, the reactions that... Um, the preliminary reactions to all this is all because it's very unprecedented it's new it's a novel virus yeah that's why i don't think they would deal with some uh, another pandemic i don't think they'll deal with it similarly la. they'll probably i mean as, as i said before la, they, they, they know what to do now right okay, la, yeah, do, la. yeah. Mm. right mm. I, I, w- I would think that the, you you quarrel the the elderly yeah you i don't think that you can have social distancing for a for a year or longer yeah the way we have had uh, i think you can spend more money on like therapeutics mm. as opposed to only like waiting for a vaccine to be produced yeah but other than that like if, yeah people have to live their lives like you only have so many years on this yeah earth. Correct, <laughs> correct i agree yeah how much of it do you want to give up mm. it mm. has to be, and it has to be more than just government decides what is best uh, for us to do there has to be some element of of public choice yeah how much risk you are willing to take as well as an individual right i mean if you have uh, pre-existing conditions if you like you are you you have a pre-existing disease uh you are elderly obviously you know that your risk is higher and then you have to decide for yourself uh how how willing I am to 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 risk my life by based on the deadliness of this virus? How yeah? How much am I going to give up of my lifestyle in order to protect my life from yeah from this virus? And I think that it, we we haven't paid enough attention to like how much of that is an individual yeah decision. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Simple things like masking, for example. Do you think that we should mask for the next three years? Hmm. <clears throat> um, what is the real downfall of masking? I mean, for ex- uh, mask we the way we mask, most people mask, not particularly effective, right? The way True. most people mask, uh, apparent like even if you are using PPE in a hospital, you need to go for training, right? Yeah. Nobody's been trained on how to use a mask. You see mm. the way people use masks. Yep. It is impossible to train a whole population to use masks the way a doctor or a medical <laughs> professional uses masks. Politicians who do not use masks. Like yeah, exactly. You look at them in parliament, they're leaders. stroking the mask. Whole <laughs> parliamentary session. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. True, true. I mean, that's a good point. Lo. I think that one, let's talk about that later. La. They get the vaccine here first. La. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Time to get it done. Let's travel, are you? Let's travel. I'm done. <laughs> I am done. Alright, so I think we've... We are done? Yeah, we, have, we are done. We've covered all our bases. Mm. Okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, thanks, Deva, so much. Thank you. For the Thank you very much, expert medical student. Uh, uh, to us today. All, expert. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So everyone, please stay safe. Wear your mask until the vaccine comes. Please uh, maintain social distancing. You know, do or uh, do everything that's necessary to protect you and your family. Uh, don't take. Don't take the vaccines. Uh, don't take the news of vaccines as like gospel. Always be skeptical. Ask the questions. You know, yes. ask the hard questions. Yes, Papa. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Don't take everything for granted. Also. Yeah, but when there's I feel a like COVID, <laughs> my God. Yeah, but like when the obviously when there's authoritative source and there's good data, you if. if, if You are in the population that should be vaccinated. That Take you the should, goddamn vaccine, lad. Okay, should yes. vaccinate. Please do. All right. Okay, I'll pass. Okay, thanks everybody. <laughs> thank uh, you. Okay, thank you very much everybody for listening, and that's it from us. And good night.